Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. So wonderful to see you've returned yet again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a very interesting item indeed. Uh, if you'll follow me to this corner of the shop, this is the section of the shop that we like to keep some of our vintage games. Of, of course, games can be a delight to kids, family, and friends, but they can also come with dire consequences. You'll notice we we have many vintage games, uh, games that are still played to this day. Sorry, Shoots and Ladders, or Snakes and Ladders, as our friends across the pond would call it. Clue and Monopoly. Many of these games haunted, some cursed, and a good number of these games ended in some form of bloodshed or another. But it is not these board games I want you to take a look at. It is the pictures mounted on the wall, for we have a number of paintings and drawings and illustrations depicting various games in their many forms throughout the centuries. Hide and seek over here. If you'll look over there, you'll see a depiction of Red Rover. And this one here is an early rendition of Tag. Pay no attention to the bloodshed and the heart being ripped from the Taggy's chest. And therein lies the essence of today's episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at the new film, All Fun and Games. So All Fun and Games is a film, and, and I use the term new loosely. It came out about a month ago, I believe September the 1st. And I really thought this was going to have a theatrical run, but I believe it went straight to video on demand. Now, I didn't notice it, and, and maybe this is one of those where I kind of just lost track of it. Uh, but I try to keep on top of uh, video on demand. Usually my video on demand I watch on uh, on Amazon Prime, uh, but I didn't notice it on there until just recently. And so I thought uh, this is a perfect movie uh, to watch this time of year because I saw the trailer and I thought it looked interesting enough. And after I watched it, I'm like, yeah, this is the perfect movie to talk about this time of year. And I was really excited to talk about this because it dives into so much that is akin to October and Halloween. Now, this movie is not set in October, at least not that it says overtly. Uh, it's not set around Halloween. You don't really see any Halloween de decorations out in, in what little you see of the town, but it could be in October. It could be close to Halloween. And the subject matter, which we'll get into here uh, briefly, is that of the stuff Halloween is made of. So I thought this was going to be a, a fun movie to watch. And, and after I watched it, I thought, okay, this is going to be a fun movie to talk about. Because ultimately, I did like this. I, I thought it was a decent movie. I, I don't think it was a great movie. I think it had a lot of potential that was missed. And that was kind of disappointing, given the fact that the Russo brothers, uh, they didn't write this, but they did produce it. And I was kind of expecting a little more out of it. 
Now, that's not to say that the writing was bad, because this is written and directed by a, a pair of gentlemen, uh, Ari Costa and Aaron Selabuglu. I'm probably butchering that name, and I do apologize. But they wrote and directed this, and I think that uh, they did a really good job with this. Uh, I think the direction was good. I think the vision was good. I think the looks were good. I liked the story. Uh, the story had a lot of potential. Uh, there were just certain aspects of the movie that I just wish would been done a little different or handled a little different and we'll get into that when i get into the spoiler section but for the most part like i said this is an interesting story it's an interesting concept and excellent cast one of the things that i read and i heard interviews with uh ari and aaron about this movie where they were kind of wanting to do something that was a cross between amblin entertainment movies like et and john carpenter and i i think they got the amblin part of it right because like et this very much this family felt felt very akin to the et family uh, a mom and three siblings uh dad is a, a jackass who left them and it really you felt that with this family and and the john carpenter part i think they did I, you know i think they accomplished that as well because this did have some very slasher vibes to it but like i said the cast was excellent i want to run down real quick annabeth gish plays the mother Kathy she does a fantastic job not in the movie a ton but what she is in there she is a believable mom much like Dee Wallace in E.T. she just pulls off that mom that's working extra shifts to provide for her family and trying to you know keep her teenage kids from tearing each other apart she does a good job you've got Asa Butterfield who plays Marcus of course Asa Butterfield uh, has done so much in genre from uh, Ender's Game and Hugo he did a another movie that involved games uh choose or die last year it was a movie i watched it was a movie i relatively liked i never got to talk about it on the podcast but he was really good he was probably one of the best parts of that movie natalia dyer of stranger things fame plays billy the the sister and then a young actor benjamin evan ainsworth who you may not know the name but if you watched the new i guess kind of live action version of pinocchio Tom Hanks was in that, but uh, he plays the voice of Pinocchio. You can probably check that out on Disney+. Plus. But he does a really good job in this. And a really a, a centerpiece of this movie that kind of does have those Amblin vibes to it. Because, you know, he's not like a, an old kid playing a young kid. He's, what, like 13 years old, or at least when they, they filmed this. So he felt like a, a young kid and that kind of coming-of-age feel. But the basic premise of this movie is that a group of teens in Salem, Massachusetts discover this cursed knife. Actually, the Jonah character discovers this cursed knife and it unleashes a demon and forces that make them play gruesome, deadly versions of childhood games. And uh, as it says here on the description on Wikipedia, there can be no winners, only survivors. It almost sounds like the joke I make every time I get finished with one of my uh, D&D nights with my buddies. Uh, my I and my wife asks me if I won. And I said, no, there's no winners in this game. Only losers. But hey, you know what? If you can't make fun of yourself, other people will make fun of you. So I'd rather go the self-deprecating humor part first. But all in all, I thought it was a decent movie. It, it's certainly not perfect. There are several plot holes and several leaps of logic in this. But ultimately... I did enjoy 
the the look of it, the acting, and the direction of it. There were just some things I didn't care for, and we'll get into that in the spoiler section. But if you haven't watched All Fun and Games, you can check it out now. Uh, I rented it on Video On Demand on, on Amazon Prime, I think, and they actually had its reduced price. So, you know, for a couple bucks, you can watch it for Halloween, and I think it's a, a really good movie. It's very short. It's only about 71 minutes. And uh, therein lies some of the problems with this. But we'll get into that coming up in the spoiler section, which is coming right now. So go watch All Fun and Games. Come back and hear my thoughts on it. And uh, from here on out, we are going to get into some spoiler territory. So as I mentioned in the kind of synopsis of the plot, this is set in Salem, Massachusetts. And I thought that is such a wonderful setting for a horror movie, especially a horror movie that's coming out just before October or, you know, when I'm watching it, it's in the middle of October. So I, I thought that was really good. I thought the voiceover that Natalia Dyer did at the beginning, I thought one played a really good part in setting up where we're at with all these characters without having to have a, a bunch of ham-fisted exposition lines. Uh, you know, you have this voiceover, her setting the scene, uh, setting up the family and, and who they are and why they're in the situation that they're in. And, and I really liked that. And she did bring in the history of Salem and about the, the witch trials and foreshadowing what's going to happen in this movie because we we see some shots of Asa Butterfield that you're going to see reprised at the very end of the movie. So you're really starting at the end and this is really just a retelling of the story, so to speak. But I like how they tied in the idea that they didn't learn all the history that Salem had to offer. And because of that, uh, because they didn't know all the history, they didn't know about this evil that they were about to face. And much like in Salem, people didn't know the whole story. People made assumptions about who was a witch and who wasn't. And that kind of ties into uh, where we find this family at the end of this movie. I thought it was a nice little, little tie-in, a little bookend if you will which i thought was nice i you know sometimes voiceovers at the beginning of a movie or at the end of the movie can can be horrible but when they're done well and i think they did it well in this uh it actually really enhances the the movie experience so one of the biggest problems i have with this movie is the juxtaposition between the really good ideas and the really bad ideas of this movie. I think this movie had a lot of really good ideas, like the Jonah character, or Joe as they call him, played by Benjamin Evan Ainsworth, finding this cursed knife. Uh, I think it's a really good idea. And this cursed knife, if you read the incantation on it, then you are going to be forced by a demon to play these deadly versions of childhood games. That's a, I think that's a really good idea. The problem is, is... Some of the application of it, like Jonah finding the knife. Uh, he breaks into this old rundown shack that still has like an old antique rocking chair in it, still has an old cast iron stove, which I can't believe in a hundred plus years, 200 plus years, somebody hasn't come in there and stolen all that shit and taken the stove and, and sold it for scrap. But 
here we are. Uh, we have this this stove, and he finds because these voices are calling to him. Finds this knife and this diary. Now, the one problem I had is why hasn't anybody else found this, and why is it still there? Which is something they actually covered in the end of it, because the last scene you go back into that cabin, into the the stove where the door's been left open, and it flames up, and in the flames as they die back down you see the knife and the diary back there again. So this curse kind of resets itself. So that was something that I thought, okay, that that's a nice answer to it. It's a convenient answer, but I, it works. I, you know, it works in a supernatural setting like this. But I think that scene also where Jonah finds this knife is a great scene that sets up the relationship between Jonah and Marcus, played by Asa Butterfield, because those two really felt like older, younger brothers. Uh, you know, they, they're best friends, but like, you know, Jonah is the the little smart mouth brother that his mouth gets him in trouble. Like when he throws that drink at those, those two older teens and, and Marcus has to kick their ass to defend his brother and gets pissed off because his brother drew him into a fight. And it's just a, a wonderful back and forth between these two. And I think that's one of the things that really made this movie so enjoyable was the relationships between these family members. Natalia Dyer, who plays Billy, the, the sister, I don't know if her and Marcus are, I think she's supposed to, to be older than Marcus, but not much. She does a really good job with this. I, I love how she did this haircut that felt very akin to Lydia from Beetlejuice, which I think is hilarious because that character was played by Winona Ryder. And of course, she's worked very closely with Winona Ryder in Stranger Things. So I almost wonder if the haircut, because she wanted that haircut. She did that haircut. That was her hair. And I, I wonder if it was kind of an homage to Winona Ryder as Lydia from Beetlejuice. I, I like to think that it was. I don't know, but uh, it's pretty damn cool if she did. But we get right into the thick of it in this movie real quick. The mom has to work late. The two older teens have to watch their little brother. They get their cell phones taken away from them for swearing in front of him. And that's a convenient plot point. Also, the other kids, when they're at the party, getting their cell phones tossed into the fire so they can't call anybody. Terribly convenient. But I think that works a little better than mom taking the teenager's cell phones because somebody dropped an F-bomb. But it really got creepy. I mean, I, I think the demon voices or the voices that Jonah hears, you know, leading up to reading the incantation on this knife, which the knife, the production design on the knife was really cool. It was kind of hard to tell exactly how the knife worked as far as like, is that a metal blade? But it's actually a knife made out of bone. Made from this kid Daniel from the late 1600s during the Salem Witch Trials. And I have to say, it looked really cool. I mean, as far as a prop piece, uh, it, I think, was really cool. And a very good and creepy talisman to set this curse into motion and pull us into the supernatural. And when Jonah does read this incantation on it, which I thought was really cool because it was very concise. I will play, I won't quit, tell me demon, am I it? It was very concise. It kind of played into the game aspect. It felt like a childhood rhyme and it had an air of, of creepiness about it. And I thought Ben Ainsworth did a really good job once he was possessed because he, he really played that kind of disturbed, you know, this kid sitting in the corner looking 
over his furrowed brow and and sweating profusely and you could tell he had ill intent on his mind he did a good job with the possession part of this which kind of surprised me because in all of the trailers you see the ace of butterfield character marcus as the one who is possessed so i was really surprised when jonah and that made me you know all the more like oh shit when Marcus reads the incantation to break the curse off of Jonah and put it on him. That's a very older brother thing to do, which I thought that was really cool. And a sentiment that Natalia Dyer's Billy does later to, to break the curse off of Marcus. Now, once Marcus is possessed, that's where things got really, really good and really okay. I thought the one kill with the Uncle Bob at the beginning, the Hangman game, I thought that was really cool and really inventive. I just think it was over way too quick. I, I thought they could have drugged that out a little bit longer and make the kill a little more, not grisly, but it's just like he's pulled up, he's let down, he's pulled up, and then his head just keels over and he's dead. I, I don't know. It just felt a little anticlimactic for being such a cool idea. If you're if you're doing killer kids games a real life hangman was a really good idea and i thought it started out really well it didn't end as well as it started now the game of hide and seek at the at the barn party uh was really featured heavily in the trailer and there again that's something that i thought they could have drug it out a little further because at this party you have billy you have her friend sophie played by Laurel Marsden, who she, you know, I think she's a, a good up-and-coming actress. I haven't seen her in a ton of things, but she has been in some stuff recently. Uh, she was in the Miss Marvel uh, miniseries. She was in The Pope's Exorcist. I really liked her in that. Uh, now this, so she's done some other things, but I think you're going to start seeing a lot more of her. But uh, she plays Billy's friend, Sophie. You've got Colton Stewart as Billy's boyfriend, Pete. And then you have like some other teenagers that are there. And they're all dispatched of pretty quickly. Leaving just Billy, Jonah, and Sophie. And I just, I thought they could have drew out the, the hide and seek game a little more. And got a little more tension and suspense out of that. The one guy is killed quite quickly and conveniently. Uh, the barn hayloft scene I thought was really good. It, it had a lot of suspense, uh, kind of a little little tiny bit of a cat and mouse that I think they do a lot better in the flashlight tag portion of the movie. But uh, Pete dying was, was pretty good. But then uh, they had this whole thing where the girl he's kind of cheating on Billy with is hiding in a pile of hay. And they do a real cool pan in to her eye sticking out of this this pile of hay and it was a really interesting shot and then of course uh, she still meets her untimely demise but uh but i but i thought that at least got a little tension out of that scene so so i really liked that but for me the best game that they played in this was the flashlight tag portion of it because you know you've got billy sophie and jonah running around the house uh because Marcus is back there and Marcus is in a lot of places real quick. He must have super fast demon running speed or something like that because he gets to places way before anybody else does. Granted, you gotta have a little suspension of disbelief and you know, John Carpenter uh, did a lot of that with Michael Myers and Halloween. Uh, so, you know, I, I see the parallels there and I don't, I don't not appreciate them, but Flashlight tag was cool. I think the there was even a better 
a display of cat and mouse between Marcus and Jonah in that, which I really enjoyed. Some of those scenes where you've got Jonah in the foreground and, and Marcus, you don't see him at first, but then the camera moves and then all of a sudden you see a silhouette of an arm. Creepy as fuck. I was just kind of on edge the whole time I'm watching this. And Jonah, you know, goes down and the camera follows him looking under the bed. And as the camera goes down, you see Marcus's feet behind Jonah. And the camera comes back up and he's he's gone because he's gone out the door. And it was, like I said, great cat and mouse, great suspense, great tension built. And, and it all really paid off with some really cool things. I think that was the... Other really interesting play on a an old game, uh, maybe not old game, but a kid's game, Flashlight Tag, uh, because it all ties into this Daniel character that I mentioned. He was the son of a woman accused of being a witch. So he was thought of as a witch as well. And some of the kids in the village started taunting and torturing him with kids games and the version of flashlight tag would have been them chasing him with a torch and burning him uh so so i like the parallels that they they did with this daniel character and the torment he went through and the kids games and i like the tie lore wise and all of that but what i thought was really cool with the inclusion of flashlight tag in this was that when you shined your light on somebody they actually started to burn that, that was kind of a creepy cool effect i mean the effects were a lot of cg but it really worked and, and i thought that was an interesting take on on making flashlight tag deadly and the ties to back in the 1600s there was one moment when billy the uh, natalia dyer character she reads the incantation on a knife gets the curse off of marcus and puts it on herself and and they establish once you once you're cursed you kind of pass out and she's in this other world, this other dimension with this child, Daniel, this demon version of Daniel and all the kids that he's killed. And and we'll dig a little deeper into the lore because I know some people are a little confused by that. Just judging by some of the some of the reviews and, and some of the comments I've seen about this movie. I'm like, did you even watch this at all? But at the beginning of the movie, you you see the title plate and it says all fun and games until somebody loses an eye. Or something to that effect. And I thought that was funny. And then the everything but all fun and games disappears where you just have that on the screen. And that's your, that's your title plate. Uh, I liked how she's being attacked. Billy is being attacked by this demon version of Daniel. And all of a sudden she gouges one of his eyes out with a thumb. And I'm like, oh shit, don't tell me that that's how you defeat him is by gouging his eyes out. That's a little too on the nose. I like how they referenced that. I like how they played into that. That was not how you defeated Daniel, which I thought was, was I, I appreciated that. That they didn't insult my intelligence by making it that simple. But I did think that was a nice little nod to the saying, it's all fun and games till somebody loses an eye. Now, it did get a little confusing when she comes out of this dream state, uh, out of this other world, where she brings this demon version of Daniel with her. It, it felt a little like pulling Freddy Krueger out of the, the dream world. I guess my, my big question is why? How did that work? Why did he come back with her? I'm not one that has to have everything explained to me, but it, it just it felt a little convenient and it didn't 100% make sense. Unlike how Jonah defeated this demon version of Daniel 
by stabbing him with his own leg bone knife. Uh, that I didn't need explained. It just kind of made sense. It, it, it worked for how the whole thing played out. So I was a little more forgiving of that, even though it was never really established that that is how you put a stop to Daniel put a stop to this curse. But I like how this didn't really have a happy ending because uh, the Marcus character turns himself in and goes to jail. And you have another voiceover from from Billy talking about how people are going to talk and rumors are going to be spread. And this city has a history of rumors being spread that aren't true. Again, hearkening back to the the witch trials and how Marcus is going to trial and they'll be there with him. Uh, It it was an interesting and a very melancholy end that is a little open ending, but in a good way. It, It makes you wonder what happened next. You don't necessarily need to have that answered. And then there's a comment about trauma. And I think that is probably a theme of this movie that... It's not really heavily hit on, but you can you can derive a lot from it in dealing with trauma. Uh, you know, the trauma of their family being broken apart, the trauma of what they've gone through with this this demon and, and all these murders, and how that even after the trauma's over, you still have to live with it. And and that's an interesting thing. Like I said, they don't beat you over the head with that message throughout the movie, but they spell it out quite clearly at the end of it, which I don't know if you needed to have it spelled out, but being that it wasn't a very heavily hit on theme, it was a nice, it was done well as far as writing goes. It was a nice little tag to the, the movie to say, hey, this is kind of what we're trying to say with this. And I I didn't mind that at all. So one of the things I I saw, there was a lot of confusion online and in videos and in other stories where people are just very confused about what's going on with this movie and with the demon and the witch and all that. And I, I get it. It's done incrementally. You get different bits of the lore in various places from the, the diary, from the witch ghost appearing. But I didn't think it was that confusing. You have this woman back in the late 1600s. She was accused of being a witch. Her son, as a result, was also accused of being a witch. The town's kids tortured him with all these childhood games. Like I said, deadly versions of these childhood games before they they killed him. The mother, who wasn't a witch, decided that if you are going to accuse me of being a witch, you're going to kill my son because you think we're both witches, then I am going to become a witch and I'm going to rain hell on all of you. And that's what she did. She became a witch. She created this bone knife out of the leg bone of her son and put a curse on it. And the curse involves this demon. I know some people were like, well, I don't know who this demon is. What does this demon want? It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a fucking demon. And it wants bad things to happen to you. But she places a curse on this knife that anyone who reads this incantation will be at the behest of this demon to play these childhood games as a way to to curse the world because as a mother who has lost her child any mother who's lost her child to an act of brutality an act of violence an act of of hatred uh they want the world to 
fucking burn. And that's kind of what this curse is. It's a let the world burn and everyone who dies as a result of this is going to be in hell playing with my demon son. And I think that's probably one of the areas that I wish they would have done things a little bit different in the storytelling because I think that's where a lot of the confusion was. You weren't sure who who's the bad guy in this? Is it the demon? Is it Daniel? Is Daniel the demon? The demon taking the shape of Daniel? Is it the mother of Daniel who became a witch and put the curse on this knife? It kind of muddies when you've got too many entities being the, the focus of the antagonistic role. I think that they would have simplified this and just made the ghost of the mother the the bad guy i think that would have simplified things you don't have to involve any sort of demon into this you could have just had she put a curse she became a witch she put a curse on this knife and things play out the way they do you know everyone who reads the incantation has to uh play these deadly games that killed her son her son is the ultimate victim in this uh in the original story that that this whole curse derives from and to make him kind of a de facto bad guy a demon version of daniel seemed it just didn't seem right i don't think i cared for that so i I really think you should have i mean you could have still made the the witch mother a quasi sympathetic character but a a character that instead of being sympathetic because she's the victim she lost her her son because of of idiocy and stupidity and bigotry she chose violence and now she's you know she's kind of the monster society made uh, sort of situation she could still be the bad guy she could still be sympathetic you could get the best of both worlds out of that character and and i think like i said the the demon aspect of this the demon vision all these kind of flashes and and jump cuts all the demonic imagery just kind of muddied the waters and like i said it just didn't really do anything for me stylistically in this movie from a filming standpoint i I didn't like the jump cuts i didn't like the shaky cam i didn't like the screams and and things like that to me that wasn't very scary the atmosphere and the tension and and the creepiness that they set up with a lot of these scary scenes i think that was more uh, chilling than any of this jump cut demon imagery that they did. Uh, Asa Butterfield and how he played this character. I talked about uh, Ben Ainsworth and how good a job he did as as the possessed version of himself. Asa Butterfield, uh, the possessed Marcus, he did a fantastic job of that. There were some things he did with his voice. I don't know if they ADR'd that and put an effect on his voice or that was purely him acting and creating the voice uh from his throat but it just sounded creepy and and almost demonic and that whole thing where he's kind of got his head tilted and and looking over the you know looking underneath the the brows it was creepy and and eerie and unnerving and he did a wonderful job creating a, a sense of dread all by himself you didn't need jump cuts or you know 90s mtv video flair to to make that uh that whole demonic idea come across so yeah i thought this was a decent movie i thought it was a really good idea for a movie i like the idea of this cursed knife i like the idea that it possesses somebody to play these deadly games Uh, i think the deadly games 
worked to varying degrees of effect. I think the Hangman game was good. The flashlight tag was good. I thought the hide-and-seek could have been done better. Red Rover just felt kind of like a throw-in. The reveals of certain ghosts, I thought, were... Some were done better than others. There was a lot of... And it felt, and I've heard other reviewers talk about this and other people online talking about this, it felt like a late 90s, early 2000s uh, style of like shaky camera work, kind of almost distorted camera work, overexposed colors, and these jump cuts of these. And, and those almost acted as like they were trying to do jump scares with it. To me, it didn't work. It felt like a 90s grunge video. I'm sure you're sick of me making that reference over and over again, but that's that's really what it felt like. And it didn't work for scares, and it didn't work for effect, and, and it certainly didn't work with the ghost imagery and the reveals of ghosts. Now, there were uh, some other reveals of ghosts that I thought were a lot better. Some of the, some of the reveals in the cabin before the witch ghost shows up. Uh, I thought there was a really cool scene where... Uh, they're taking Marcus off in the, the police car and you see the camera back on the family standing outside the house and in the window, in the reflection in the window, you see a couple of the Puritan girls from the 1600s that Daniel had killed or were the first victims of the curse. You see their reflections in the, the window, which I thought that was a really good reveal of ghosts. I, I really... that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. But yeah, this movie is only like 71 minutes. It is not a very long movie. And I, I just, I'm, I'm a little disappointed by that because it just felt like they ran out of ideas and and didn't know how to fill this out to make it any longer. And I, I thought there was a lot of stuff they really could have done to fill this out. I think you could have delved into the lore a little bit more. You could have delved into the actual events that took place, whether it be uh, Daniel being hunted by the kids. You got like real quick flashes of it all throughout the movie. But like I said, it felt like it was done, you know, 1994 MTV video style. And it just, I think you could have played on that a little more. I think you could have delved into the horror of that and mixed that in with the horror of what was going on with Marcus. And I don't know whether they didn't do that for budgetary reasons or what. You got shades of it, but I thought they could have delved a little more into that. And also they could have delved into... Uh, the hide-and-seek game a little more. I thought they could have milked a little more horror out of that, but it was over way too quick. I thought the flashlight tag portion of the movie was really good. I just wish they could have tied that in with how they defeated the demon with just like a little more cohesion. Because it felt like, okay, we did that, but we're not going to have him kill all of the demon this way. So we'll have Billy read the thing and she'll go into the dream world and he'll come back out. I just wish it could have been tied together a little more succinctly because having him come out of this this other world, Daniel that is, just felt a little out of the blue, out of nowhere. Like, oh, he's he's not in the dream world anymore or whatever it is. I keep calling it the dream world because it just felt so Freddy Krueger uh, about pulling him out of it. But uh, I, I just wish they could have, you know, made that flow a little more seamlessly. But where I think they failed in just not filling this movie out with enough, uh, like I said, enough lore, uh, enough kills enough scares 
Uh, it did make up for a creepy atmosphere. This did have a ton of atmosphere, and it had so many scenes that just kind of had you on edge, on the edge of your seat, because they did a really good job with with what they had as far as the 71-minute runtime. They did use that to great effect in creating tension and suspense and making things creepy and eerie. And the the voices that you would hear, the whispering voices was chilling. And I, I did appreciate that. And the cinematography, I thought, was, was really good. I thought there were a lot of really interesting shots. I thought everything was lit fairly well. Uh, I thought that some of the scares just came from the atmosphere and the shots of Jonah in the foreground, Marcus in the background, and not realizing Marcus is there until the camera moves. And, and that was some of the scariest stuff. I didn't need the jump scares and the jump cuts with shaky cameras and a imagery of a demon or, or Puritan girls or, or whatever. I didn't need that. The atmosphere and some of those creepy shots were the best scares in this movie. And as I said, the cast was excellent. Asa Butterfield as Marcus, Natalia Dyer as Billy, Laura Marsden as Sophie, Benjamin Ainsworth as Jonah were just fantastic. And Beth Gish was really nice to have her in this. There again, like I said, if you had a little bit of longer runtime, I think we could have got a little more out of her because I think she's a, a wonderful actress. And, and the, the supporting cast, I thought, were all really good as well. So the cast, I thought, was really one of the things that made this movie so enjoyable. Uh, on top of a story that really delved into family and into horror. And I thought, well, they, they nailed the family aspect of it. I think the horror, they were, they were almost there. But all in all, not a bad movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. And I think that to me, as I've said before, that is the biggest barometer, whether I think a movie is good or not, is whether I enjoyed watching it. And I enjoyed watching this. It wasn't as horrific as I wanted it to be. It wasn't as gruesome, as bloody as it could have been. But I thought it did have a lot of great potential and it it almost met that potential. It didn't quite get there, but it still it, it met some of that potential, and and I enjoyed that. And like I said, the the Amblin Entertainment portion of of what they were going for that family coming of age type film, I thought they really nailed that, especially with this wonderful cast. I just think horror wise, they had this this great idea teed up. You know, you have Salem, Massachusetts. You have witches. I don't think there are enough really good witch movies out there in horror and you've got this cursed item this cursed knife and this idea of uh being cursed and whether it's a curse whether it's possession somebody forcing uh kids or, or people to play these deadly versions of childhood games was was great i think they just they left some things on the table and they made things a little too complicated in other aspects and i think uh it's it's a situation where it was a great idea not fully realized and not not completely fleshed out to to distill it down to the simplest story the simplest idea because those are usually the best so if you're looking for something new something horror to watch it's october you're getting pumped up for halloween which isn't that far away this i think is a good movie to rent and like i said i got it on the cheap on amazon prime like two dollars and change 
uh, it's definitely worth that to watch. So I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on all fun and games. Uh, a, a decent horror movie for October. And it is October, so coming up, we've got a lot of things going on. Of course, uh, on Monday's show, we are going to be talking about, I believe, the new film Five Nights at Freddy's. That's going to be Monday's show, but... Tuesday is Halloween, so we are going to have our Halloween special, the was this the third annual Halloween special, and uh, so we're going to be talking about a lot of things. There's going to be a quick review on the special American Horror Stories for episode Halloween special that they're doing. Going to be talking about a couple of my favorite anthology Movies to watch during Halloween, Halloween-centric anthology movies. There's a, a pair of them, uh, a part one and a part two. Uh, I'm not going to give that away just yet. Maybe I'll give it away on Monday's show. I don't know. But we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about other Halloween things. So a lot of Halloween fun to be had on Tuesday's special bonus episode, our third annual Halloween special. So uh, lots to look forward to there. And you can check out everything that's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our social media pages, Facebook and Instagram, everything that's going on with horror, fantasy, and science fiction, as well as the podcast. And no matter where you listen to this, podcast please leave a review five stars would be awesome but whatever review you leave we do appreciate that more than you'll ever know and please follow like subscribe whatever you have to do on the podcast platform of your choice that way you can stay on top of what's going on with the podcast with the new episodes as they drop and as well it just kind of shows us that there are people out there that are, are following and liking what we do so we appreciate that as well no matter what you do if you you love horror fantasy and science fiction and you like listening to this podcast please share this with anyone you know that loves horror fantasy and science fiction i know this month we're focusing a lot more on the horror but i, I do uh plan on we've got some some sci-fi stuff and some fantasy stuff coming out real soon we're going to be talking about that as well so uh please share this with anyone that you know that loves those great genres and until next time thank you for visiting odds bodkin's curiosity shop we hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon but even though you may come back you never really get to leave odds bodkin's curiosity shop ha 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 ha